What's up, you guys? Tristan, where you at? You see this, Tristan? Where you? Look at that. Oh, get swole. All right. Hey, good to be with you guys tonight. How you doing? Um, my name is Rick. I'm a, one of our pastors here at Crosspoint. I've uh, loved being a part of CY for the last couple years. Um, we are in a, a Christmas series right now, though, and there's a really common verse that uh, you might have heard at Christmas time, and it's kind of going to be uh, the foundation of what we're talking about tonight. And it's this idea that God is with us. I want to throw it up on the screen real quick. It's actually in the book of Matthew, but it's a reference from the book of Isaiah, a book that was written hundreds of years before the book of Matthew. So it's like Matthew was writing a paper, and he had to put in some references, and he's like, hey, this is important. I want you guys to know about this. So here it is on the screen real quick. Let me see. You got it up there? Matthew 1, 23 says this. This is, again, from the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. That doesn't usually happen, by the way. Uh, you don't get pregnant without having sex. But anyways, we'll get this. Uh, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Uh, if you know this story, you may go, oh, that's Jesus, Emmanuel. By the way, no one ever called Jesus Emmanuel. He just fulfilled this verse. He is God with us. And the idea tonight that we're going to be looking at is actually that our deepest need, the, the thing that we're struggling with, the thing that maybe brings us the most worry, anxiety, frustration, fear, whatever it might be, our deepest need can actually become a gift when it drives us to depend on God. This idea that God is with us is a powerful one. Uh, I'm sure like many of you guys in high school, when I was uh, uh, approaching my senior year, I'd just gotten my driver's license my junior year, and then in between summer, uh, I was given a car by my grandma. How many of you guys ever been given a car by your grandma? That means you got grandma's car. Grandmas don't usually drive sports cars, all right? Uh, but this car was actually pretty rad. It was a 1964 Chevy Malibu. All right, kind of a classic. But it wasn't the SS, the Super Sport, if any of you guys are car fiends, uh, it, with a bigger engine. It was the smaller engine and the four-door like sedan. But I was still stoked because any car is a good car when you first get your license, right? And uh, I started my senior year. I was able to have a car of my own that I could drive, which was awesome. And I, I loved it. And right at the start of my senior year, something magical happened. I, uh, I had a physics class first period, and like you guys might have sometimes in your classes when you go to school, just, just the right person happens to be in that class. And, and there was a special girl, I didn't know she was that special at the time, uh, because I really thought she was out of my league, that, uh, that a friend, some friends of ours kind of did all they could do. You guys ever do that, try and match up some of your friends, get them to go to a dance together? You guys do all the hard work, all they got to do is show up. Anyways, uh, this girl, our, our friends got us together, and our first date was homecoming in, I'm going to date myself, uh, 1992. All right, that's pretty long time ago. I know none of you guys were born. Some of our adult leaders were born. Uh, but we went, we went to homecoming and, and we dated for a while and it was amazing. I was so stoked. I, uh, I had this, this girl that was like, it was, it was like a mountaintop experience that I had this, this person that was passionate about the things I was passionate about, growing in, in our faith, uh, serving God together. We were super involved in youth ministry, much like many of you guys are. At the same time, relationships are tough, right, in high school. It doesn't always go the way you hope. Well, I was a year ahead of her in school. When I graduated, she was still in high school as a senior. Then she graduated, and everything was cool for a while. But eventually, uh, we ended up breaking up in college, and it, like, wrecked me. All right? I went from the mountaintop. The mountaintop, if many of you guys can picture it, you've been there, some of you. How many of you guys went to houseboats at Lake Shasta? It's literally on a mountain, all right? Houseboats is amazing. It's like a mountaintop experience. You feel close to God. You feel connected. You're connected to friends. You're spending time eating meals with them, doing worship like we do here at night. And then eventually, at the end of the week, you got to go down the mountain and you go back to the valley. You see, the valley is not always as fun. The valley is often a place 
where we get to know God in the valley. We, we get to enjoy God on the mountaintop, but we get to know God in the valley. And we don't often like those valley moments. They're kind of lower moments, the moments that God feels far off, but he's still there. And we can see the mountaintop from the valley. You're in a low place, you're in a difficult place, but you can see the mountaintop. Then sometimes it gets even worse than the valley. And for me, that was that season of, of not being in this relationship that I thought this was gonna be a girl I was gonna marry. And, and in college, she's dating other guys and I'm just sad. All my closest friends knew it. Uh, as it would have it, I was actually really, really good friends with her uh, brother. And so I had to be like around her all the time and see her dating other guys. And, and that took me from the valley to the wilderness. And it's actually in the, in the wilderness where we get to experience God. We, we get to truly see God show up in a way that we don't understand or we don't even like sometimes. And, and that idea of the wilderness, it's a metaphor for trials, hardships, and wandering. It, it just feels like we don't have answers. Have you guys ever been in that place where you don't know what to do next? Should I continue to, to play a sport? Should I continue to date this person? Should I, should I keep... Uh, going in this direction in school? Do I go to this college? You know, do I stay friends with these people? Do I keep this job or pursue this job? There's so many questions that we have when we're in the wilderness. But I wanna tell you, when we are in that wilderness moment, when we're in those places where we don't understand things, that our deepest need can become a gift if it drives us to depend on God. I wanna tell you guys tonight about a story about a man named Elijah. This is in the Old Testament. This guy was a prophet and, uh, and, and the craziest thing happens in the, before the text we're gonna to cover today, this crazy thing happens. He's um, kind of running from this king that's trying to kill him, this King Ahab. And he goes from running from this king to basically having a face-off with this king where, where they kind of have this, this uh, moment where they're gonna have a battle between whose God is more powerful. Elijah was a prophet of the God. Uh, Ahab had prophets of, a fake God called Baal and another God called Asherah. These weren't real gods. And they had this face off on this mountaintop where they brought two bulls and they were gonna sacrifice them. And whoever's God brought fire down from heaven to consume the offering, that would be the real God. So uh, just to give you the kind of quick cliff notes of this, what happens is the bull goes on the, 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 the prophet of Baal and they call down, they're doing all these things, they're cutting themselves, they're crying out to their God. And if, you, if you've never read the story in 1 Kings 18, it's amazing because... Uh, Elijah starts just talking smack. Elijah starts just, just talking to them like you wouldn't believe. He's like, where's your God at, dude? There's 450, by the way, prophets. 450 against one guy. 450 against one. And Elijah's just like, where's your God? Maybe your God's sleeping. He literally says, this is in the Bible. He goes, maybe your God's on the toilet. He, he says this, it's in the Bible. He's like, is your God on the toilet? You might wanna look. First Kings 18, you can go look it up later. And he goes, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's too busy for you. All right, and these, these prophets of Baal did everything they could, fire never shows up. Then Elijah does something crazy, he has his own sacrifice. He goes, you know what, let's up the game a little bit. I wanna pour water all over my sacrifice to make sure that you guys know when fire comes down, it's gonna burn this. You guys ever try to light wet firewood? It just does not work. No matter what you do, it won't work. And he pours fire all over it. Eventually what happens, he prays, simple prayer, doesn't have to cut himself, doesn't have to go crazy, just says, God, show them. Show them yourself, show up in this moment. Fire comes down, consumes the offering. Then it gets kind of crazy, this is Bible stuff. The prophet, which you guys could kind of equate to like a pastor in church, you might not think they do this. He told the people of Israel, hey, get these 450 guys, we're taking them down to this valley and we're gonna kill them all. Uh, and they did, yeah, it gets pretty dark. But after this great victory, after this great victory against these prophets, Elijah actually ends up on the run. Because he's had this victory, now Ahab and his wife Jezebel want Elijah dead because he basically just embarrassed them. 
He showed that their God was not the real God. He showed that the God uh, of the Bible is the real God. And so Ahab's chasing after Elijah. And this is where it picks up our story because Elijah's kind of on the run. Despite having this mountaintop experience, he's down in the valley. He's finding himself in a wilderness moment. It's gonna be up on the screen for you if you don't have your, your Bibles or your Bibles on your phone. But 1 Kings 19, three to 12 is where we're gonna be. We're gonna read the first nine verses. It says this. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He just had this big victory. Now he's like, God, I just wish I could die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more for the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, Elijah, what are you doing? So here he is, Elijah flees this place, Sinai, and, and God shows up. When we look at Elijah, he seems exhausted. You guys ever feel like that? Even after a big victory, you might have achieved something that you've always dreamed or hoped of, and yet it hasn't filled you up. This was kind of Elijah. He showed up, he saw God move. He had this mountaintop experience, but now he just feels empty. He feels like Hopeless, he actually wishes he could die. He's tired, not just tired, he's broken down, depleted. Sometimes in those moments, the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. It's sometimes we just need to slow down. Sometimes as you read here, the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap and have a snack. I know, I know that doesn't sound very spiritual, but God sometimes wants us to just slow down. In the book of Psalms, he says this, the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. See, we, see, as human beings, I think we strive a lot, whether it's our pride or what, we gotta put in work. We gotta do stuff, we gotta make moves. And if we don't, if we're not taking, taking action, that we're somehow missing something, someone's getting ahead of us. And, and I get it, there's a need for us to work. You gotta put in effort if you wanna accomplish things. But God is saying, be still and know that I am God. So here's where Elijah finds himself, broken down, tired, despite great defeat, I mean, despite great victory, over these, uh, these, these fake gods, Elijah just feels broken. And, and God says, what are you doing? All right, you've gotten some rest, you've gotten a snack. It's time to get back in the game. And here's what it says in verse 10. It says, Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Pause there for a moment because what he's saying is one of the biggest challenges, not just the, the things that are going on around him, it's that he's all alone. I want you guys to know the importance of, of being here and being connected to the friends that you have sitting to your left and to your right is that you don't have to be alone. I'm telling you, the most difficult moments in your life will be like Elijah when you're gonna find yourself all alone. But when you can look to people that'll support you, that'll encourage you, even in your darkest moments, you're gonna be reminded that there's hope. This is what Elijah, uh, what happens, uh, God says in verse 11. He says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. 
the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, there was actually a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But then after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. This idea, I want to go back to what the psalmist said, be still and know that I'm God. See, sometimes I think in our lives, we're, we're looking for, for big things, big messages, the voice of God to come powerfully down, circumstances to open up and, and everything to work out the way we need it to work out or we think it should work out. But what God's saying oftentimes is slow down, put yourself in community, put yourself around other people that are pursuing me. And even in the valley, even in the wilderness, you can find me. I got a couple examples of what it looks like to, to do this. If you were sitting there and you're looking for God and you have a windstorm, can you hear God in the windstorm? It's loud, it's powerful. You might say, wow, that's actually evidence of God because that's, that's the, the nature just blowing through. What about an earthquake? You guys ever experienced an earthquake? How many of you guys? Yeah, we feel some sometimes. I think we had one just last week. Uh, was it last Monday, a really small one uh, not far from here. We have an earthquake. If Earthquakes are powerful. They, they, they can do some damage. What about a fire? Fires do damage. Fires come through and they consume everything. It was even a fire that consumed the offering in the previous chapter. But God's not in the fire in verse nine, chapter 19 like he was in chapter 18. God's in the whisper. The thing is, to hear a, a whisper you gotta be quiet. You gotta be still. And you gotta listen for his voice. As we look at this experience that Elijah has from great victory, a great work of God up on the mountaintop, traveling through the valley into the wilderness, he, he's seeking God still. He, he's actually crying out to God. God, I'm all alone. God was in the whisper. Why does God whisper? He can whisper because if we know him, he's always close. He's always right here. I, I think we need to be reminded of this because even when we look around and, and I, if you haven't had it happen already, people are gonna let you down. And let me tell you, as a parent, your parents will let you down as kids. We, we try not to, we do our best, but we're gonna disappoint you. It might be when we say no, but it might be when we can't keep a promise. It, it's not our goal, but we're gonna let you down at some point, I'm sorry. It's real. Your, your friends, your siblings, they're gonna let you down. They're gonna blow it. If you're setting your parents, your siblings, a teacher, a coach, any human being up, girlfriend, boyfriend, up to be that person that's gonna meet all of your needs, they're gonna let you down. Let me tell you about the one that'll never let you down. The one that you can never escape from, the one that you can, can never flee from, the one that's gonna be there in your darkest moments. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you feel, feel crushed, if you feel brokenhearted, it's telling you that God is close and that he can rescue you. One of my favorite chapters in, in, in all of scripture is Psalm 139. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to take notes, write down Psalm 139, bookmark it in your Bible app. Psalm 139 is a great chapter that tells us how much God deeply cares, loves, and knows us personally. He says this, it's not gonna be that text. You can go to a blank screen. We're gonna get to that one in a minute. Psalm 139, verse seven to 11. This is, this is the psalmist talking about 
hey, where can I go to escape from God? If God's always close, is there any way for me to get away from him? Is there a reason? Is it because I'm pursuing my sin? Is it because I'm pursuing the things that I think will satisfy me, but they don't? But hey, I've, I've tried it before. Why not try it again? This is what the psalmist says. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me. Turn off all the lights, hide in the dark, and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. There is no running from God, you guys. There's no way that we can escape him. He wants to be close so we can hear his whisper. So everything else, the earthquake, the fire, the wind, it becomes secondary when we hear the whisper of God. See, here's the reality is I think we need to, we need to be in a place where we'd rather say, I want to be in the wilderness with God than on the mountaintop without him. You can find yourself on the mountaintop. You can have great success. But if you do it apart from a relationship with Jesus, it will not satisfy your soul. I don't know if you guys know the story. Deion Sanders, who's a real popular football coach. He's the Colorado University football coach. He's been in the news a lot this year because he took a 1-11 team and made him like a 4-8 team. It's a pretty good improvement. He's probably gonna be better next year, but he's real flashy. He talks a lot. Many of you might be too young to know it, but he was actually a two-sport athlete. He played defensive back in the NFL, returned kicks, and he also played baseball. And in the NFL, he won a Super Bowl. And he tells a story about winning the Super Bowl, which is the greatest championship you can win in the NFL, uh, every player's dream. He went, won a Super Bowl, and he said that night in his hotel room, he wanted to kill himself. Why? Because he'd achieved everything he'd ever dreamed of in winning a Super Bowl. It's what he'd been working for all his life, and he still felt empty. And he wanted to take his own life, and he didn't. You can go look this up online. There's great stories about his faith and how he's drawn back to, to God and, and, and his, put his trust in Jesus. But he thought being on the mountaintop was where it's at. But if you're on the mountaintop without God, it won't satisfy you. See, our deepest need becomes a gift when it drives us to depend on God. I told you guys about the, that season of, of not dating that girl that I really liked, that I, that, I, that I thought I wanted to marry. I was like pretty sure this girl was special. And nine, uh, not nine years, sorry, it was probably about seven years after I met her in high school, just from running in the same circles, eventually, uh, as, as it would go, we, we eventually reconnected and started dating again. And, and you know, while I was in the valley and in the wilderness, I had a choice. I, I could either pursue the things that my flesh told me I wanted and would satisfy me, or I could pursue Jesus. And, and let God work out the circumstances of the relationship because I, I wasn't in control of that. I can't change someone else's feelings. I can only work on myself. And so in that season, I tried to radically pursue Jesus. I tried to grow in my faith. I did good you know, in a very material way with work and I tried to take care of my body and exercise because it doesn't hurt if you look good, right? I didn't look like this back then, all right? I had abs, six of them. Uh, maybe eight, Ezra, I don't know. Might've been eight, I'm just saying. Uh, I promise, there, there's, there's a picture out there somewhere. Um, now I got one, just one. <laughs> um, but the time that I spent apart from her gave me an opportunity in the valley, in the wilderness to pursue God. Because at the time, my deepest need became a gift because it drove me to depend on God. 
I don't know where each of you are at tonight. Many of you already know Jesus. You're a follower of his. You're in a relationship with him, but, but maybe you've drifted off. Maybe you're looking for the, the earthquake, the wind, the fire to, to, for God to speak. And he just wants you to be still and know who he is so you can hear his whisper. If that's you tonight, I think tonight's a great opportunity to realize, hey, my deepest need needs to drive me towards dependence on God. But if you're here tonight and all of this is foreign to you, you, you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus. This is not about religion. This is not about morality and you doing certain things and not doing other things. This is, this is about God sending his son, Emmanuel, God with us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. This is about God sending his son to, to be born of a virgin as a baby. God trusted a teenage girl over 2000 years ago to take care of his child as a baby, to raise him up so that one day he'd be a man that would go to a cross and hang on a cross and suffer a penalty and a death that we deserved because of our sin. And make no mistake, our suffering, our judgment was right. We deserve it. There, there, there's a lyric that I love. It says, if we fought for our rights, we'd be in hell tonight. If you want what you deserve, that'd be easy. What God did in sending his son, in sending Jesus, was make a way, was open a door that we can return into relationship with our creator. The one who can be so close, closer than a friend, closer than a brother, can dwell in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, so close that we could hear his whisper. Let me tell you what the Psalms also say, that this one will be on the screen. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. This is for all of us, whether you know Jesus or not. But if you wanna step into a relationship with him, I would encourage you, you pray this prayer and then I'll give you next steps. But it says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If you're here tonight, and you feel like you're in the wilderness, I wanna encourage you that God is not far off. You can call out to him and he will answer. He wants to heal you, provide for you, and make you into the person that he created you to be. I, I know I don't got a lot of jokes for you here tonight, but this is far more important than any joke I could tell you, make you laugh. If you're not walking in a relationship with Jesus, you're not becoming who he created you to be. Your eternity is not secure if you don't know Christ. And this isn't just, again, about do's and don'ts. This is about eternity, but it's also about the here and now. The things that God created for us are so much better than the things we seek out ourselves. One thing I love about the leaders that we have here at CY, and I hope you guys have experienced this in your small groups, I try and be really authentic with the guys that I work with. I'll tell you the real deal, I'll tell you my struggles. We've been in the mountaintop, we've been in the valley, and we've been in the wilderness. The only thing we've got on you guys is a few years and some experience to tell you that that road leads to hell. And I'm not talking just about eternal hell, I'm talking about a current day hell, a misery, a pain, a suffering, a brokenness that we do not want you to head towards. We want you to head towards life. Yes, the mountaintop, there will be valleys and wilderness, but we all go together. I love what Sal says about our guys group is none of you guys get to go anywhere alone. We're all going together. You fail together, you succeed together. 
And, and this youth group, guys, what I've loved about this, about CY, is what I see in the response time more than anything. Yeah, you guys know how to worship, you know how to, how to have fun, but when these messages are over, when I see you guys go as groups for, to get prayer, that's a powerful thing, because nobody prays alone. You guys wrap your arms around each other in a way that points us to Jesus. So if you're here tonight and, and you wanna make that your prayer, search me, God, know my anxious thoughts. Show me anything in my life that's, that offends you and lead me in a life everlasting. That's your opportunity. Would you guys all bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, I just wanna make this abundantly clear. The opportunity is right here to, to say yes to his invitation. To, to respond to what God's doing in your heart. It might just in this moment feel like a heaviness on your chest and a, a weight that's kind of pressing down on you and you can't put words to it. So I just wanna help you. If that's you tonight, it's simply saying, yes, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Restore me to a right relationship with you because of your death on the cross. And he promises he will make you his son or his daughter and you are part of a family. If that's you tonight, I wanna to encourage you. If, you. if you've prayed that prayer, just raise your hand right now. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, put your hand up. What God is saying, he's inviting you into his family and your life from this point forward belongs to him and he will make you everything he created you to be when you depend on him. God, we just thank you so much just for God, what you're doing in this place. It's unique. God, it's, a, it's an unusual thing to find a community where people just love each other unconditionally. They're, we don't experience the judgment or, or the group think that we often get in school or in other workplace or God, anywhere else. God, we come here because we're united around one thing and that's the cross of Jesus. God, would you continue to do a work in this place God, continue to change and mold our hearts to know you more deeply. And God, to understand that our need, our greatest need can be a gift when it drives us to depend on you. It's your name we pray, amen.